And now, Father, we, we need to hear from you, Lord. Um, Father, I feel the reality that there is nothing I can say to make anybody know your love, experience your love. That is your doing, and so that, that is my prayer, Lord, that you would do it, that when your word is spoken, it is you speaking. Father, I pray for those who maybe have never experienced your forgiveness and the love that you have for them in Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. And Father, I pray for those of us who do know Christ, that we would maybe marvel in a fresh way at what you have done to pursue us while we were lost. That's amazing. So come and do all of this and even more than we can ask for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's that time of year again when millions of children draft the closest thing to a legal document that they know of, namely their Christmas wish list. Right? The most wanted, most needed, most essential things to their reality. And in just over a week, they will see if this binding document has been honored. Right? Have they received what they deem to be the most essential ingredient to their existence? Well, that is what I want us to ponder together this morning, friends. What is the most essential thing to our existence? What is the oxygen that our souls breathe? The answer is this. Love. To be freely received by another and then to be freed up to give ourselves to someone else. This is what we were created for. It's called love. Because we are created by a God who is love. It's not a coincidence that the disciple who penned those words self-identified in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's no coincidence then that love is the defining mark of most of life's most poignant moments. When you're in a relationship with someone What is the first most significant milestone? It's the moment that you decide to say, I love you. I love you. What you're saying is, I have decided to give myself now to you. What is the source of the greatest pain usually in our lives, some of which most of us are experiencing or have experienced? It's the loss of love, the loss of a loved one. If you have a child, I'd imagine you'd say experiencing the transition into parenthood was one of the most profound experiences of your life, and this is why. It's because a new capacity to love was awakened. My Facebook feed is bursting at the seams with pictures of newborns and some variation of the theme, I never knew I could love this much. Children need love to live, and that's not hyperbole. There is something called failure to thrive. If a child doesn't receive love, they could die. Dr. Alan Green says this, Some children fail to thrive in the face of adequate calorie absorption simply from extreme neglect. Kids who are not hugged 
held and cared for don't grow. This has been clearly demonstrated in orphanages where the adult-child ratio is very low. Even if these children are well-nourished, they often fail to thrive simply because they lack personal care. You need love to grow. If you've seen the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks, right, where his plane goes down, everybody else dies, he's on a deserted island, and he's figuring out all of these survival techniques. Do you remember one of his most significant survival techniques? Wilson the ball. <laughs> Putting a bloody handprint on a volleyball, drawing eyes, and giving it a name. Love. What it means human means to exist in relation to another, and if we don't have that, we can't live. What was the saddest part of the movie? When that stupid ball started to float away. And you laugh now, but you cried too. And it's true. Because you knew if he had no relation to another, even if it was this silly idol Wilson, he was hopeless. We live in modern times, so we don't believe in cruel and unusual punishment. Next to death, what is our harshest punishment? Solitary confinement. Cut off from relationship and love. Well, this is the final week of Advent, and today we reach this kind of apex of this journey we've been on. We've been hope and peace and joy, and today we look at the seedbed that all of these other flowers have grown in. The others have been flavors. Love is the meat. The other three are rays of light, but love is the sun. The other three have been harmonies. Love is the melody and the symphonic structure of our lives. The others are a boat and wind and horizon. Love is the ocean. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the Advent theme of love. So this is what we need to ask ourselves this morning. Advent means the arrival of something significant, right? So if you're created in love, why do we need the arrival of love? Why do we need the advent of love? Well, the answer is found in our tears. It's found in our losses that are violent reminders that while we do experience love now, something is profoundly broken. We find the answer in our insecurities, in our fears. We are not completely secure, and we know it. Each of us lives with this ancient ache that was wrought at the trauma of the fall. The moment Adam and Eve, the perfect humans who enjoyed perfect love, looked on their God with suspicion and contempt, and they rebelled against the reign of the God that is love, and the great chasm between us and God, who is love, was affixed. Our supply line to our soul's oxygen was pinched, and we found ourselves gasping for air. Now, psychologists say that we have attachment issues, which is true. But the Bible goes even deeper. Colossians says the problem is here. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, this is the origin of our ancient ache. It was alienation 
from God. And this is the resounding theme of the Old Testament. God's people rebelling against him and him pursuing them in love time and time and time again. Can you relate? Has God been pursuing you, but you've been filling your souls with things that don't satisfy? See, Israel was like a madman trying to satiate their thirst with salt water. While there was a freshwater spring beckoning them to come, God said it this way. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Incline your ear, come to me, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. But Israel would not incline their ears, so God would go silent. He would shut his mouth. No more prophets and no more visitations for over 400 years. And Israel would weep. There is a Jewish book of history called First Maccabees. And it says it this way. So there was great distress in Israel, such as had not been since the time that the prophets, the messengers of God, ceased to appear among them. But God would have one final word for Israel. It would come through the prophet Malachi. Malachi is the final book of the Old Testament. This is God's last word to his people, begging them to abide in his love and to repent of their idolatry. Listen to the haunting way that Malachi begins. Malachi 1.1. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? I love you, says the Lord. But now you ask, how have you loved us? Do you see the the disconnect that happened? The great trauma from the fall, the insanity of Sin. This is how far they had come from the garden. In the garden, the man and the woman were naked and unashamed in unbroken relationship. And now they're cold and weather-bitten and cynical. And they say, how have you loved us? Well, Advent is good news, friends, because Advent is the answer to this question that Israel asked. Advent is the answer that shattered the silence from heaven. And so this is going to be the lens that we look at our text today. I see at least four ways that God is answering this question to Israel this morning. How have you loved us? So let's dive in. The first response to how have you loved us, God says, by pursuing you faithfully. Luke 1, 26 through 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. God is pursuing us. But I don't want to pass too quickly over the first part because I think it is amazing. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. See, it's easy for us to to forget. Angels aren't all-knowing. 
the entire heavenly host had been waiting to see when was God going to speak again? When was he going to break in and ransom Israel back to himself? You think I'm reading too much into this? Well, Peter actually has my back on this. In 1 Peter, one of the most breathtaking texts, it says, It was revealed to the prophets of old that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And catch this. Things into which angels long to look. I would have loved to see this scene. Can you picture it? The other angels must have been enraptured. Here was God calling Gabriel, and he was giving Gabriel a mission to do. Now, they weren't all knowing, but they did know Scripture. And they knew that the Scripture said that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And here God says to Gabriel, you're going to go down, and you're going to have a meeting with a young Jewish woman. Can you imagine that? All the prophetic gunpowder that had been laid through the ages, promising this Messiah, was Gabriel going to Nazareth to drop the match and to ignite it? And we know the answer was yes, friends. This is the joy and the hope of Advent. God's love that has pursued us. Israel's rebellion would not thwart his love. Nothing can thwart his love. And the truth is, friends, each one of us is Israel. Their story is our story. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, it's because God has pursued you in love when you had no inclination towards him. And he broke your rebellion, broke through it with his love. This is what scripture says. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. We wouldn't have sought God, so he came to us. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Have you been struck with God's pursuit of you? If you have, it changes everything and life becomes worship because you know just how unsavable you are and what God has done in his love. C.S. Lewis, who as many of you know, was a staunch atheist before God saved him. He has this really poignant moment in his memoir where he recounts God's pursuit of his rebel hearts. He says this, Amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. To me, as I then was, they might as well have talked about the mouse's search for the cat. He goes on to say, Who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in, kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? And this is all of us, friends. We weren't searching God. If we had any inclination towards God, it was because the gravity of his love pulled pulled us towards himself while we were blind. A dead man can't seek after God. God gave us life, and we were drawn to his love, which pursued us. How have you loved us, Israel asked. I've pursued you faithfully. Number two, by pronouncing you favorably. Verse 28. And he, that is Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. 
the Lord is with you. Well, here we get a stunning example of the grace and condescension of our God. He didn't send Gabriel to the high priest to meet with the temple to discuss a change of power that would take place. He didn't send him to the Trump Tower for a photo op to show off his status and influence. He sent him to Nazareth, a rural town of just a few hundred people. And Nazareth was so small that Luke had to attach it to Galilee or they would have no idea what he's talking about. This was just a few hundred people. Nazareth was of no account. And this is where God sent Gabriel. We know Nazareth was of no account because John says this, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is the type of town that Nazareth was. And this is where God said, You are my favored one. I think God means to make us uneasy here. How do we prescribe value? How are we impressed? God is not impressed like we are impressed. In fact, the things that we are often impressed by can be barriers to relationship with God because we become impressed with ourselves. We think we are self-sufficient. So he sends him to Nazareth, but not just that, to Mary, who was a Jewish girl no more than 14 years old, about as low as you can get on the social totem pole. See, Mary was the one person who would have no illusion that God chose her for this task because she was deserving. If God would have come to me, I would have said, that's probably a pretty good choice. I can see why you (laughs) want to do that. Mary had none of it. Mary wasn't going to try to steal God of his glory and salvation because she knew, who am I that you would look upon me? In fact, we know it because after Gabriel left, she gave us a song. She said this, my soul magnifies the Lord, not myself. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. Here's the question, friends. Have you had the merry moments? Have you recognized your humble estate? If so, you are in the perfect posture, indeed the only posture, to receive God's love. For God opposes the proud, opposes opposes the self-sufficient. He opposes the one who is ready with his resume, thinking that this will impress him. But he gives grace to the humble. Have you had the merry moment, or are you still trying to earn God's love? A love that you could never afford and would never have were it not freely given to you? And a helpful diagnostic question. When you sin, do you think God's disposition towards you changes? Do you think that now he loves you less or his affections have wavered? If so, you think that in some ways you justify yourself. It's not true. He has pronounced us favorable, and this is the amazing news Advent. He comes to the most humble condition, which is all of us, and he pronounces us favorably. And this is exactly why our Lord said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Of course, God desires for all of us to grow in Christ-likeness, of course. But we don't do it to earn his affections. We do it as we recognize that we have been pronounced favorably. This is our response now to this. How have you loved us, Israel asked. Number three, by pacifying your fears. By pacifying your fears. Verses 29 through 30. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It would be hard to imagine, think of it, a young 14-year-old Jewish girl now face-to-face with an archangel, the emissary of God. What was her response? What was her most natural response? It was one of fear, and that is the perfect and right response, but that is also a symptom of our spiritual condition. Mary is simply responding the way every human instinctively now responds to the holy because of our sin. Remember what the prophet Isaiah said when he had a glimpse of God. He says, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Or maybe you remember the apostle Peter when he saw Jesus perform the miracle of the miraculous catch of fish. Scripture says, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, Mary's most natural, understandable response is our greatest problem. We were created to be loved by God, but our sin has separated us from him. So now when we're in his presence, we are fearful. We are fearful. And this is why Gabriel's words are the best news to us. He says to her, don't be afraid now. How could that be? She is a, a, a sinner like you and me, and we can't stand in the presence of holiness. Don't be afraid because you are the favored one. Maybe you've had that experience where you've been uh, next to somebody or in the same room as somebody that you see as, as holy. Like for me, it would have been my, my grandpa, and you could put on your best behavior because you feel that imposition of their holiness raiding at you. And when they're gone, you breathe a little bit freer because you, you don't have that reference point. But here's the reality. They're a sinner just like you. And they might be two millimeters farther along the spectrum. But God is 93 million miles away. He is the son of holiness. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. John, once again, speaks into God's love for us and the eradication of our fears like this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Have you experienced the love that has quieted your fears? How are you doing there? How are you doing with anxiety? 
has the love of God quieted those fears? Now, for sure, this is a journey. Writing this part of the sermon about how God's love should make us less anxious made me anxious. This is how deep the struggle goes. We don't arrive immediately. This is why he uses the language of, are you being perfected in love? It's a beautiful thing. This is a process. Positionally, we are the favored ones of God. And now he's perfecting us in his love, knowing that he has freely given himself to us and there is nothing to be afraid of because it wasn't about how lovable we are. It was about what Christ has done for us. And this is a part of the reason we need Christian community. We are ambassadors of God's love to each other. You have been reconciled to God. And as we speak the gospel to one another in community, our fears are daily assuaged. And then this next morning, we'll have to hear it again because we are being perfected in love. Israel asked, how have you loved us? I've loved you by pacifying your fears now. And this brings us to the last answer this morning. How have you loved us? By providing my son to be the savior of the world. Verses 31 through 35. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And with these words, the match did fall. All of that prophetic gunpowder that was laced through history ignited. And the Messiah was coming. And through him, he would bring salvation to Israel. He would reinstore the kingdom of God. See, for centuries, Israel was waiting for God to send them a king to free them. And Gabriel says, sure enough. He says it three times. He will have the throne of David. He will reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. But it didn't come as they expected. See, they were hoping it would come in political power and free them from the vice grip of Rome. But God had a much bigger plan of salvation they could ever have conceived. This would be no political revolution. This was going to be a cosmic one. And the salvation wasn't just for Israel. It would include every tribe and every tongue and every nation. God's love would smash every dividing wall of hostility between the peoples. And he would have one people, the true Israel. And he would make war, but it wouldn't be on the Romans. It would be on Satan, sin in us, and the final enemy, death. And he would do this not by wielding a sword, but by dying on a cross in our place to pay the price for our sin, to reconcile us back to God, back to the fountain of love. Our oxygen, our oxygen supply reinstored. 
See, this is the second half of the Colossians text that I quoted from earlier, and it is the greatest news imaginable. And you, you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is you, friend. If you receive this gift of God's Son for you, you are holy and blameless and above reproach, and you are well-dressed to enter the kingdom of the heavens. This is an amazing picture. Love is perfect self-giving. And in this last text, we see the self-giving love of the triune God. Did you catch it? All three of them are present here. The Father has sent us the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now God has broken open his life of love and welcomed you in because you are made holy by the blood of the Son who is the Savior of the world. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. We can't even conceive of your holiness. Father, I pray that you would, in all of our hearts, give us a a glimpse of your holiness so we may understand even deeper what you have done for us, the fact that we have access to you, how cavalier we can be, forgetting the great cost that access supplied. Father, I'd have to imagine that there are some in this chapel who have not experienced the love that you have for them in Christ. And so they are not well-dressed to stand in your presence. Father, I pray that today you would break through, that your love would pursue them and draw them to yourself. And Father, for those of us who have received your love in Christ, I pray today that even more we would be perfected in this love, that our fears and our anxieties and our depression, that you would quiet all of those. Father, this is your work, and so won't you do it now for your glory, for our joy. In Christ's name.